Chapter Two of A Daughter of Today by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Leslie said Mrs. Bell, making the unnecessary feminine twist to get a view of her back hair from the mirror with a hand glass. Aren't you delighted? Try to be candid with yourself now and own that she's tremendously improved it would not have occurred to anybody but mrs bell to ask mr leslie bell to be candid with himself candor was written in large letters all over mr leslie bell's plain broad countenance so was a certain obstinacy not of will but adherence to prescribed principles which might very well have been the result of living for twenty years with mrs leslie bell otherwise he was a thick-set man with an intelligent bald head a fresh-coloured complexion and a well-trimmed grey beard mr leslie bell looked at life with logic or thought he did and took it with ease in a plain way he was known to be a good man of business with a leaning toward generosity and much independence of opinion it was not a custom among election candidates to ask leslie bell for his vote it was pretty well understood that nothing would influence it except his own views and that none of the ordinary considerations in use with refractory electors would influence his views he was a man of large undemonstrative affections and it was a matter of private regret with him that there should have been only one child and that a daughter to bestow them upon his simplicity of nature was utterly beyond the understanding of his wife who had been building one elaborate theory after another about him ever since they had been married conducting herself in mysterious accordance but had arrived accurately only at the fact that he preferred two lumps of sugar in his tea mr bell did not allow his attention to be taken from the intricacies of his toilet by his wife's question until she repeated it aren't you charmed with elfrida leslie hasn't philadelphia improved her beyond your wildest dreams mr bell reflected you know i don't think elfrida has ever been as pretty as she was when she was five years old maggie do say margaret interposed mrs bell plaintively she had been suffering from this for twenty years it's of no use my dear i never remember unless there's company present i was going to say elfrida had certainly grown she's got to her full size now i should think and she dwarfs you mother margaret mrs bell looked at him with tragic eyes do you see no more in her than that she exclaimed she looks well i admit she looks well she seems to have got a kind of style in philadelphia style i don't mean fashionable style a style of her own and according to the professors neither the time nor the money has been wasted but she's been a long year away maggie it's been considerably dull without her for you and me i hope she won't take it into her head to want to leave home again if it should be necessary to her plan of life it won't be necessary she's nineteen now and i'd like to see her settle down here in sparta and the sooner the better 
her painting will be an interest for her all her life and if ever she should be badly off she can teach that was my idea in giving her the training settle down in sparta mrs bell repeated with a significant curve of her superior lip why who is there lots of people though it isn't for me to name them nor for you either my dear but speaking generally there isn't a town of its size in the union with a finer crop of go-ahead young men in it than sparta mrs bell was leaning against the inside shutter of their bedroom window looking out while she waited for her husband as she looked one of sparta's go-ahead young men glancing up as he passed in the street below and seeing her there behind the panes raised his hat heavens no said mrs bell you don't understand leslie perhaps not mr bell returned we must get that packing-case opened after dinner i'm anxious to see the pictures mr bell put the finishing touches to his little finger-nail and briskly pocketed his penknife shall we go downstairs now he suggested fix your brooch mother it's just on the drop elfrida bell had been a long year away a year that seemed longer to her than it possibly could to anybody in sparta as she privately reflected when her father made this observation for the second and the third time sparta accounted for its days chiefly in ledgers the girl thought there was a rising and a going down of the sun a little eating and drinking and speedy sleeping a little discussion of the newspapers sparta got over its days by strides and stretches and the strides and stretches seemed afterwards to have been made over gaps and gulfs full of emptiness the year divided itself and got its painted leaves its white silences its rounding buds and its warm fragrances from the winds of heaven and so there were four seasons in sparta and people talked of an early spring or a late fall but elfrida told herself that time had no other division and the days no other color elfrida seemed to be unaware of the opening of the new southward episcopal methodist church she overlooked the municipal elections too the plan for overhauling the town waterworks and the reorganization of the public library she even forgot the browning club whereas though elfrida would never have said whereas the days in philadelphia had been long and full she had often lived a week in one of them and there had been hours that stretched themselves over an infinity of life and feeling as elfrida saw it looking back in reality her experience had been usual enough and poor enough but it had fed her in a way and she enriched it with her imagination and thought with keen and sincere pity that she had been starved till then the question that preoccupied her when she moved out of the philadelphia station in the chicago train was that of future sustenance it was under the surface of her thoughts when she kissed her father and mother and was made welcome home 
it raised a mute remonstrance against mr bell's cheerful prophecy that she would be content to stay in sparta for a while now and get to know the young society it neutralized the pleasure of the triumphs in the packing-box besides their real delight had all been exhaled at the students exhibition in philadelphia when philadelphia looked at them the opinion of sparta elfrida thought was not a matter for anxiety sparta would be pleased in advance elfrida allowed one extenuating point in her indictment of sparta the place had produced her as she was at eighteen when they sent her to philadelphia this was only half conscious she was able to formulate it later but it influenced her sincere and vigorous disdain of the town correctively and we may believe that it operated to accept her father and mother from the general wreck of her opinion to a greater extent than any more ordinary feeling did it was not in the least a sentiment of affection for her birthplace if she could have chosen she would very much have preferred to be born somewhere else it was simply an important qualifying circumstance her actual and her ideal self her most mysterious and interesting self had originated in the air and the opportunities of sparta sparta had even done her the service of showing her that she was unusual by contrast and elfrida thought that she ought to be thankful to somebody or something for being as unusual as she was she had had a comfortable spoilt feeling of gratitude for it before she went to philadelphia which had developed in the meantime into a shudder at the mere thought of what it meant to be an ordinary person i could bear not to be charming said she sometimes to her philadelphia looking-glass but i could not bear not to be clever she said clever but she meant more than that elfrida bell believed that something other than cleverness entered into her personal equation she looked sometimes into her very soul to see what but the writing there was in strange characters that faded under her eyes leaving her uncomprehending but tranced meanwhile art spoke to her from all sides finding her responsive and more responsive some books some pictures some music brought her a curious exalted sense of double life she could not talk about it at all but she could slip out into the wet streets on a gusty october evening and walk miles exulting in it and in the light on the puddles and in the rain on her face coming back it must be admitted with red cheeks and an excellent appetite it led her into strange absent silences and ways of liking to be alone which gratified her mother and worried her father when elfrida burned the gas of sparta late in her own room it was always her father who saw the light under the door and who came and knocked and told her it was after eleven and high time she was in bed mrs bell usually protested how can the child reach any true development she asked if you interfere with her like this 
to which mr bell usually replied that whatever she developed he didn't want it to be headaches and hysteria elfrida invariably answered yes papa with complete docility but it must be said that mr bell generally knocked in vain and the more perfect the submission of the daughterly reply the later the gas would be apt to burn elfrida was always agreeable to her father so far as she thought of it she was appreciatively fond of him but the relation pleased her it was one that could be so charmingly sustained for already out of the other world she walked in the world of strange kinships and insights and recognitions where she saw truth afar off and worshipped and as often met falsehood in the way and turned raptly to follow the girl had drawn a vague and many-shaped idea of artistic living which embraced the filial attitude among others less explicable it gave her pleasure to do certain things in certain ways she stood and sat and spoke and even thought at times with a subtle approval and enjoyment of her manner of doing it it was not actual artistic achievement but it was the sort of thing that entered her imagination as such achievements natural corollary her self-consciousness was a supreme fact of her personality it began earlier than any date she could remember and it was a channel of the most unfailing and intense satisfaction to her from many sources one was her beauty for she had developed an elusive beauty that served her moods when she was dull she called herself ugly unfairly though her face lost tremendously in value then and her general dislike of dullness and ugliness became particular and acute in connection with herself it is not too much to say that she took a keen enjoying pleasure in the flush upon her own cheek and the light in her own eyes no less than in the inward sparkle that provoked it an honest delight she would not have minded confessing it her height her symmetry her perfect abounding health were separate joys to her she found absorbing and critical interest in the very figment of her being it was entirely preposterous that a young woman should kneel at an attic window in a flood of spring moonlight with her hair about the shoulders of her nightgown repeating rossetti to the wakeful budding garden especially as it was for herself she did it nobody else saw her she knelt there partly because of vague desire to taste the essence of the spring and the garden and rossetti at once and partly because she felt the romance of the foolish situation she knew of the shadow her hair made round her throat and that her eyes were glorious in the moonlight going back to bed she paused before the looking-glass and wafted a kiss as she blew the candle out to the face she saw there it was such a pretty face and so full of the spirit of rossetti and the moonlight that she couldn't help it then she slept dreamlessly comfortably and late and in the morning she had never taken cold philadelphia had pointed and sharpened all this 
the girl's training there had vitalized her brooding dreams of producing what she worshipped had given shape and direction to her informal efforts had concentrated them upon charcoal and canvas there was an enthusiasm for work in the institute a canonization of names a blazing desire to imitate that tried hard to fan itself into originality elfrida kindled at once and felt that her soul had lodged forever in her fingers that art had found for her once for all a sacred embodiment she spoke with subdued feeling of its other shapes she was at all points sympathetic but she was no longer at all points desirous her aim was taken she would not write novels or compose operas she would paint there was some renunciation in it and some humility the day she came home looking over a dainty sandalwood box full of early verses twice locked against her mother's eye the desire of the moth for the star she said to herself but she did not tear them up that would have been brutal elfrida wanted to put off opening the case that held her year's work until next day she quailed somewhat in anticipation of her parents criticisms as a matter of fact she would have preferred to postpone parrying them she acknowledged this to herself with a little irritation that it should be so but when her father insisted chisel in hand she went down on her knees with charming willingness to help him mrs bell took a seat on the sofa and clasped her hands with the expression of one who prepares for prayer one by one mr leslie bell drew out his daughter's studies and copies cutting their strings clearing them of their paper wrappings and standing each separately against the wall in his crisp business-like way they were all mounted and framed they stood very well against the wall but mr bell who began hopefully was presently obliged to try to hide his disappointment the row was so persistently black and white mrs bell on the sofa had the look of postponing her devotions you seem to have done a great many of these etchings said mr bell oh papa they're not etchings they're subjects in charcoal from casts and things they do you credit i've no doubt they do you credit they're very nicely drawn returned her father but they're a good deal alike we won't be able to hang more than two of them in the same room was that what they gave you the medal for mr bell indicated a drawing of psyche the lines were delicate expressive and false the relief was imperfect yet the feeling was undeniably caught as a drawing it was incorrect enough but its charm lay in a subtle spiritual something that had worked into it from the girl's own fingers and made the beautiful empty classic face modernly interesting in view of its inaccuracy the committee had been guilty of a most irregular proceeding in recognizing it with a medal but in a very young art school this might be condoned 
it's a perfectly lovely thing interposed mrs bell from the sofa i'm sure it deserves one elfrida said nothing the study was ticketed it had obviously won a medal mr bell looked at it critically yes it's certainly well done in spite of the frame i wouldn't give ten cents for the frame the effect is fine we must find a good light for that oh now we come to the oil paintings we both presumed you would do well at the oil paintings and for my part continued mr bell definitely i like them best there's more variety in them he was holding at arm's length as he spoke an oblong scrap of filmy blue sky and marshy green fields in a preposterously wide flat dull gold frame and looking at it in a puzzled way presently he reversed it and looked again no papa elfrida said you had it right side up before she was biting her lip and struggling with the desire to pile them all back into the box and shut the lid and stand on it that's exquisite murmured mrs bell when mr bell had righted it again it's one of the worst said elfrida briefly mr bell looked relieved since that's your own opinion elfrida he said i don't mind saying that i do not care much about it either it looks as if you'd got tired of it before you finished it does it elfrida said now this is a much better thing in my opinion her father went on standing the picture of an old woman behind an apple stall along the wall with the rest i don't pretend to be a judge but i know what i like and i like that it explains itself it's a lovely bit of colour remarked mrs bell elfrida smiled thank you mamma she said and kissed her when the box was exhausted mr bell walked up and down for a few minutes in front of the row against the wall with his hands in his pockets reflecting while mrs bell discovered new beauties to the author of them we'll hang this lot in the dining-room he said at length and those black and whites with the oak mountings in the parlour they'll go best with the wallpaper there yes papa and i hope you won't mind elfrida he added but i've promised that they should have one of your paintings to raffle off in the bazaar for the alterations in the sunday school next week oh no papa i shall be delighted elfrida was sitting beside her mother on the sofa and at the close of this proposition mr bell came and sat there too there was silence for a moment while they all three confronted the line of pictures leaning against the wall then elfrida began to laugh and she went on laughing to the astonishment of her parents until the tears came into her eyes she stopped as suddenly kissed her mother and father and went upstairs i'm afraid you've hurt her feelings leslie said mrs bell when she had well gone but elfrida's feelings had not been hurt though one might say that the evening left her sense of humour rather sore at that moment 
she was dallying with the temptation to describe the whole scene in a letter to a valued friend in philadelphia who would have appreciated it with mirth in the end she did not write it would have been too humiliating end of chapter two